it's so nice for my wife and I to be here tonight. And uh, when I drove up in the parking lot, I don't remember having seen the steeple before. I'm sure I have, but I noticed it because from the highway you can see it. And I drove up in the parking lot tonight, and there was a lot of emotion built up in me. Really a lot of emotion, because there's a lot of memories, you know. And when you start getting a little bit older, although I'm not, uh, I'm just uh, around 38, but I've been around twice, you know what I mean? But uh, when you start getting a little bit older, your, your view backwards is sometimes better than the view surrounding you or even looking forward. And so there's a lot of memories here. Uh, we had the funeral of a lot of my loved ones in this church that have gone on before. And that uh, tonight are probably laughing at all of us <laughs> because of what they are and what they've seen and what they're doing. You know, when the Lord comes, we're going to get a brand new body. You know that? Brand new one. Now, these kids don't have any any problem with theirs. But uh, I'm going to get a nice thin one. Thank you very much. <laughs> and a good healthy one. And I don't have to worry about fatigue. You think of what that's going to be. And uh, I could preach on that, but uh, I won't tonight. But, you know, there's a lot in the Bible about that. A lot more in the Bible than you think there is. About what we are going to be like in the kingdom of God for a thousand years. Can you imagine that? And it's going to be a wonderful occasion. Actually, it's a thousand and seven years. And uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing when the Lord comes and takes us out of here. And you know when He comes... All of our loved ones, I'm sorry about the emotion, but all of our loved ones are going to be with him when he comes. Wow. And we'll see him again. What a joyful uh, reunion and occasion that's going to be. Well, I I know some of you here tonight that are relation to me. I I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, in the beginning, everybody's name was Clayton. And uh, have you ever heard of Adam and Eve Clayton? Have you heard that yet? <laughs> then they got in trouble with the law and they started changing it to, to alter and new and that, and that kind of stuff, you know. But we were all originally Claytons. I was born in Shelby County uh, out here on the Bradigan Farm, one mile from Tawawa. You know where Tawawa is? One mile north of Tawal was where I was born. That's where I discovered America. And uh, when I was born, uh, my dad came to town in a Model A Ford, and he got Dr. Lay Master. He was a, an old... I don't know if any of you remember the... There was two of them. Father and son, Lay Masters, were doctors in Sydney. And he was taking uh, him out to, to uh, our farm for him to help my mother... When I was born, I was the last one of the family born. They always say the best one to last. And uh, how many of you are baby of the family? Let's see here. Oh, look at this. Wow. Uh, that's great. So I'm preaching to kin folks tonight. Amen. And uh, he, on the way out, he, my dad told him, he said, Doctor, I, I don't know where I'll be able to pay you for this. 
because, you know, the depression's on and we've had such a tough time. My dad one time walked a whole ten miles to work ten hours for one dollar. Can you imagine that? In Shelby County, it was that tough. You know, I just preach along as I go, but, you know, we are the richest uh, group of Christians in the history of America or the world. We are. I mean, tonight, right now, I know we're complaining about our economy, but we, we Christians have the best economy that the world's ever known. And they talk about revivals. Uh, we have gone through the greatest, we're just kind of ending now, but we've been in the greatest revival that the world's ever known since the days of Pentecost. And they talk about the great awakening and all that, a million people getting saved and uh, all that. But you know, uh, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, we built churches all over the world. There were millions and millions of people got saved. It was a great movement of God and the independent Baptists in the world at that time. And I had the privilege of being a part of that. But I, I was, uh, my dad said to the doctor, said, you know, he said, uh, I don't know if I'll be able to pay you for this. He said, oh, that's okay. I called my dad Tommy. He said, that's okay, Tommy. He said, uh, 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 you're a Republican and I'm a Republican. And he said, the Democrats was taking over Shelby County. And he said, some Democrat politician's wife is going to get sick, and she's going to say, sick, sick long enough to pay for this baby. <laughs> he said, uh, the Democrats are going to pay for a lot of Republican babies in this county this year. <laughs> I was born out there, and when I was born, the doctor said, man, this is a big baby. said, uh, let's weigh him. You got scales? Dad said we got a chicken scale out in chicken house. My son said it was a turkey scale. But uh, he said, well, go get it. And they had me in a blanket and hung me on that thing and held it up. And it weighed 10 pounds or 12 pounds, went on past the 12 and hit the peg. And he said he weighs at least 13 pounds. And he said to my mother, said, uh, good night. How are you going to raise this big old baby? You got all this farm work and uh, have to have to do all this work, you know. And they said, uh, how can you raise? He said, well, doctor, he said, I thought Bobby was my last baby. My brother Bob was the baby of the family for five years. And I came along, he never forgave me for that. <laughs> but he said, uh, he said, uh, how are you going to raise this big old baby? She said, I can't raise him, doctor. I'll just give him to the Lord. And, uh, she gave me to the Lord and to my sister Betty, who's 10 years older than me. And uh, I rode around on Betty's hip all over that farm. And wherever I went until I got so big, I had to run, outrun her, you know. But uh, those are the days. And, you know, uh, I look back over that and, you know, I, I was going to Bible, I mean, I was going to high school here. And I got all I wanted of that. And I said, man, I've, I, I've got something better to do with my time than to go hear these crazy teachers to try to teach something to me. So I quit school. Oh, by the way, kids, I finished my high school later on. And, uh, but, uh, and you need to finish. I was wrong in that. But God, God had called me to preach. And, uh, 
I, uh, I wanted to preach with all my heart. So I went to the church of the brethren down here and talked to the pastor. We had a pastor. His name was Brother Inman. He was a liberal. He didn't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And he didn't believe that Jesus was a virgin born. He didn't believe in heaven or hell. And the reason why I know that is because I asked him. And uh, the old man was unsaved, you know. And he's pastor of the church. And I went to him and I said, Brother Inman, I feel like that God has called me to preach. Oh, he said, that's wonderful. And I said, uh, what, what can I do about it? He said, uh, well, he said, I'll tell you. We'll send you back to high school. You finish high school and then you go to college. And after going to college for four years, you can go to seminary. And when you're out of seminary, we'll ordain you a Church of the Brethren preacher. I want to be a Church of the Brethren preacher more than anything in this world. I was raised in the Church of the Brethren. I still have a lot of it in me. But uh, I said, how much will that cost? He sold about $1,800 a year. Well, he might as well said $18 million. There's no way we could have that kind of money. You know, my dad bought a house in Sydney for $1,800 one time. And so, you know, it was just a lot of money. And so I got my little old 35 Chevrolet Coupe, and I drove home, and I cried the whole way home. Uh, so much so that I had to stop driving because I knew that I'd never be a church of the brethren preacher. And uh, my mom used to listen on WLW every morning to B.R. Lakin. I got on the bus having heard B.R. Lakin preach from WLW in Cincinnati and then having heard Dallas Billington preach from radio station in Columbus every morning after I got on the bus having heard those two preachers preach. That made an indelible impression upon my mind. That's why you ought to have preaching. You ought to get some preaching. On the internet, you can listen to, you can listen to Lincoln on the internet now, on YouTube. It's amazing what you can do with that stuff, you know. But anyhow, I'm taking too much time here. But uh, I, uh, I, I heard Dallas Billington say, we're going to start a Bible college in Akron. For any young man that's called to preach. He doesn't even have to have any education. Because Dallas Billington didn't have but he didn't have anything but grade school education. And he said, uh, for anybody that doesn't have money, it's going to be free. Wow. I mean, I was overjoyed with that. So I came back to, to, uh, to Sydney and I told the pastor that. Oh, he said, you don't want to get connected with them guys. They're fundamentalists. I said, well, what's a fundamentalist? Oh, he said, that's somebody that believes the Bible literally. I said, what do you mean, believes the Bible literally? Well, you know, he said, they believe the Bible to mean what it says. I said, well, I must be a fundamentalist. (laughs) Aren't you? Well, no, he said. He said, it won't hurt you to go there. But he said, when you get through there, come on back here and we'll straighten you out. When I walked into the front door of the Akron Baptist Temple, I thought I had opened the door and walked into heaven. A choir singing like that, people greeting you with happiness and joy, and the preaching of the Word of God, and the invitation. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And what a joy it was for me, and that's, that's where I started the ministry.
Now, God's uh, been blessing. Sometime I'll tell you about my first Bible and some of those things. But, you know, God has blessed uh, me abundantly. When I went to Akron, I didn't have any money, no job, no place to live. God gave me a place to live the day I arrived there. It's quite a wonderful story. Not because it's me, it's because of God's grace. And I got down on my knees by the side of the bed. And I laid my hands out on the bed. In that strange city, away from my loved ones. And I said, God, I don't have much to give you. I don't have any education. Of course, I didn't have. I said, I don't have any money. And I didn't have that. But Lord, I'll give you what I am. If you'll take care of me all the days of my life, I'll never quit you. And you know, that's been 58 years ago plus. You know, I've heard a lot of preachers say, well, I feel like quitting every week. I've never wanted to quit. I've never had a desire to quit. And I've never quit. But you know, my life belongs to the Lord completely because I gave it to Him. And I don't dare take it back. Oh, I haven't been, I haven't been very successful for him in a lot of ways. And, and I'm ashamed of some of the things I've done and said. But it all belongs to the Lord. I gave it to him. All right, I'll give you a little report about uh, what the Lord has done in the last few years. We have been involved in evangelism all this time. And uh, we have had the privilege of helping start, and I always say helping start, uh, more than 200 churches now. We, uh, we don't start churches. Churches start churches. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, we've helped churches start churches all over the world. We've helped start eight churches in New York City. We've, uh, we've built a lot of buildings in those years. Uh, the most expensive one, I guess, was Youngstown. And if you'd build that today, I'm sure that building that we built and the land and everything would cost you more than two million dollars and God gave it to us and uh, we've had the opportunity of building churches in Mexico we built five churches in Mexico we built uh, we built churches uh, uh, in the Philippines 11 churches in the Philippines and we've had the privilege of starting a lot of churches uh, I for a long time I had evangelistic teams with me I would have as many as 50 people traveling with us all summer starting churches. And uh, our system was, uh, was really uh, well organized. Uh, I had a lot of help doing that, but we had a good system. And we'd go into a town, and oftentimes we'd gone into a town where there was no church. And we'd be there for a week or two weeks and leave with a church there with a full-time paid salaried preacher. Uh, and we've done that. We've done that on several occasions. Now, we never did that without the miracle working of God. It has to be a miracle. I mean, you, it, it, it's a, this, right, this church right here is God's church. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong uh, to anybody here. It belongs to God. And the Lord has to build His church. No matter what we do or say, God has to build His church. And He said He would. He said, I will build my church. And uh, the Lord is in the business of building churches. He always will. We've got an absolute revival going on now in Asia. 
Uh, we thank God for it. I've been in the Philippines since 1968. was the first time I went there. And I've preached literally from one end of the Philippines the whole way to the other in almost every town of any size. And uh, God has blessed us. The last time I was there, I preached in the morning to 8,000 people. And then uh, at night, I went to another church and preached to 5,000 people. I've had the privilege of preaching there to 18,000 people in, in, uh, on one Sunday. You know, uh, God ha- is doing something great. And uh, He wants to do great things. He wants to do great things in our lives. You know, if you'll just... These young people here, the possibility of these young people here is overwhelming to me. If these young people would put God first in their lives and say what I did. Just simply say, Lord, nothing in my life I bring but simply to the cross I cling. Just give your life to Jesus. And you know what? God will take you and use you in a great way. The world is wide open. More than any time in the history of the world. You say, well, <clears throat> Brother Clayton, there, isn't any, there, there are some places you can't go. No, there isn't. You can go anywhere in the world and preach anywhere that God sends you. No matter what the laws and what the politics are. I know that for a fact. I've proven it. I preached in Cuba. We have a church in Cuba right now that's doing well. There was three of us had joined together in starting this church in Cuba. And uh, the two guys that are with me in that are now just getting to a place where they can't hardly go anymore. And our granddaughter married a young man in Canada that feels he's called to preach and go to Cuba, uh, Matt Kretzman. And Matt and Lana are going to go there. They went there for their honeymoon. The Canadians can go as come as they please, you know. There's no embargo on Cuba and Canada. And uh, they, uh, God's called them down there, and they're going to go down there and do You can do that. Amen. Man, I preach the gospel in the streets of Baghdad. I, I've, I've had the opportunity to preach in places where the war was going. Five war zones I've preached in. Where there are bombs going off and, and everything. You, you can do that. You can do anything you want. You know, the, uh, when, when the pilgrims t- came to America, even before the pilgrims came to America, I want to say, the Spanish came to America through Mexico, up into, through Texas, up into Utah looking for gold. And they found a lot of gold in Utah. And the old, the old Spanish mines are still there. You can go walk in them if you want to where they mined and got gold. And they got up into Utah. I mean, this is, this is the first white people ever to get out west. They, they came up into Utah, and when they got to one tribe out there, Ute tribe, uh, they, they came to these Pueblos, and uh, in that tribe there was a white woman teaching the gospel to those Indians. You know, they said, where in the world did you come from? Well, she said, I come from Europe. Uh, God called me here and I, I came here. How she got there, the, the record doesn't say. But the, the, the record that the Spanish kept said there was a white woman in there. Giving the gospel to those Indians. They begged her said, don't stay here. These Indians are going to kill you. Go with us. And uh, you, can, you can work with the Indians where we are. We'll protect you with our guns. She said, no, God's called me here. They did kill her when they got back. When the Spanish came back through there, they found out they did kill her and ate her. 
Now, you, you can imagine, though, God, God is able to do all things. And the gospel has gone throughout the world. But it's the greatest time right now in the history of the world to spread the gospel. I preach sometimes and my sermons go on the internet all over the world. I mean, there are dozens of countries where people hear uh, us preach the gospel. Think of that. It's amazing, is it not? That internet <coughs> is literally... I mean, I had people in, uh, in Baghdad say to me, uh, Brother Clayton, we listen to, the, to uh, the internet. We heard you preach on the internet. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing. But now, this technology is just beginning. Uh, the computer business is, I mean, it's, it's just beginning. And so you're going to have the opportunity of doing more for God than we've ever done before in the history of the world. This generation of young people that we've got right here today can be the catalyst for the gospel in a greater way than any other group that's ever known in the world. Don't take that lightly, young people. Don't take that lightly. God has put you here at this particular time to do something for Him that's never been done before. So, so do that. Well, I think that as far as the report is concerned, I'd like to give you probably a report of the last few years. We have had the opportunity to do some building of clinics in the Philippines. My heart is touched by the street children. They're a group of people. There's a million of them in the Philippines. A million abandoned street children. They live in the sewers, under the bridges, and under the gutters. And they live on whatever they can beg, or whatever they can find in the trash, or whatever the dogs leave in the gutter. That's what they live on. Uh, most of them never make it till their eighth. I mean, if they're young, real young and they're cast out, they probably don't live till they're eight years old. But those that make it past that don't live much more than 18 years old. Because of the bacteria and the, the virus and fungus that they're exposed to, uh, it, it creates such physical problems for them. And many thousands of them have AIDS because they're used as child prostitutes. That, that bothers me, that haunts me. And I sometime I wake up at night and I can't sleep. And I, I just go out and I just beg God to do something through me for them. It's unbelievable. And it's all over the world. In Rio de Janeiro, uh, there is a squad of off-duty policemen who every night go out and gather up the little street gangs and take them out to a stone quarry and shoot them in the head. And they throw them in this stone quarry in quicklime that dissolves their bodies quickly. One man said on television that he had killed 10,000 of them. Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I, I know that abortion is a horrible thing, and I, I'm for life. I'm against abortion. But I'm telling you equally to abortion is the street kids, the abandoned little street kids. And they're all over the world. You know, I often say we could do something for God, for, the, for them through God's power, if we could only get the Christians to just get a little bit of vision of what I'm talking about. 
I mean, I went to Juarez, Mexico, and there was 40,000 people living on the city dump out of the garbage that was on that city dump. 40,000. I looked at that. I mean, there was clouds of flies, people living in cardboard boxes, just stuff that they could pick up off the dump. They they rigged it up somehow for some kind of a little house, and they they would huddle together in the kind of a, like a family, although many of them not related uh, physically, they would, they, were, they would huddle together uh, in, in, in kind of a family situation in those cardboard boxes. When I went there, a nurse, we had a nurse with us, my wife and I, and our team went there, and we had a nurse with us, and she said, Brother Clayton, none of these kids will be alive in five years. This will kill them. You can imagine the garbage that they ate. And, you know, my heart was moved. I don't know if that moves you or not. I had to do something about it. I didn't have a dime of money. I didn't have, <coughs> I didn't have any way of raising any money at that moment. But I had to do something. So I went over in El Paso. And I took my credit cards. And I run them up to the hilt. To get enough money to buy enough material to build a building on that city dump. We got enough, they loaned us an old bus that had been an army bus. It was painted army color. And we loaded that bus full. I mean, it was, it was strongly built with a great big rack up on top that you could put a tank on. I mean, that's how heavy that thing was built. And so we filled it full of lumber and hammers and saws, nails, everything that you can, two by fours and, and everything. And then up on top, we loaded everything that we could get up there on that. And uh, I just imagine what the custom was going to customs was going to do to us when we started across that border, because they don't like to let any lumber company come in their country, because they have lumber yards, you know. And uh, we gathered around it. Our team did the whole way around that bus, and we held hands. We prayed that God would let us get this across the border. And when we came to the border, that old bus loaded down, army color. That officer looked up and saw that thing coming out. He thought that he was going to be invaded by the United States Army. And he just pushed us on through. We didn't even have to stop. Right on through. And we built that building. And we got the building up. We used electricity from a woman who who, uh, uh, lived on it, on the dump. And she had electricity in her little house. And we were able to borrow electricity from her. She came to the church service and got saved. And her husband, <coughs> he didn't get saved. And the Pope came to that city dump when he was in Mexico. He came to the city dump and saw our church. And he said, shame on you Catholics that uh, that church would be here. This ought to be a Catholic mission out here, not a Baptist church. Pope said that about our building. So her husband and a priest decided that they were going to kick us out and run us out of there. They got the police after us. We got the federales. The federales got some real, some real, real power in that country. Please don't. But anyhow, we had a real, real fight with them. But uh, uh, the 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 priest and the and the uh, man got together and they went around to all the family groups and told them the Pope said that that church shouldn't be here and if you go there, we're going to excommunicate you and you're going to hell. One of the guys said to him said. Have you been to that church? Why? He said, no. He said, your wife goes all the time. 
said, you better get down there and find out what they're doing to your wife. You know, these, these, these people, these Protestants are a bunch of nuts. They may rape her down there. So he said, okay, I'll go see. So he came and sat in the back seat. Next Sunday, he's in the middle. Third Sunday, he's on the front row and got saved. Then he ran around to everybody and told them, said, the priest is a liar, the pope is a liar. I mean, he went too far the other way, you know what I mean? But, uh, uh, you know, I have a burden for that. And we can do something for the Lord. So what we've done in the Philippines is we, first of all, we built two uh, clinics to help these street kids. And to help the poor preachers. There are a lot of poor preachers in the Philippines that have no medical help whatsoever. We built two clinics. They're up and running right now. And what I've got in mind is a hospital. Uh, there's a piece of property that we have. The property is paid for and the building is paid for. All we have to do is we have to just go and remodel the building, get it ready for a hospital, and uh, the Cleveland Clinic and some other suppliers will give us all the equipment free that we need. And all we have to do is ship it over. We've got a staff of doctors over there already and dentists and nurses that will help us. And so we're looking forward to building in the next few years a hospital in the Philippines. And I believe God's going to bless us for that. I already got a little bit of money. Of course, we've got the property already, right just down the street from the best church in the Philippines. They've got a Bible college of 200 students. So we're going to be able to bring the people in and help them physically and lead them to the Lord. And... Uh, we're, we're, when we get over there, we're going to be uh, feeding 3,000 uh, Filipinos in a tribe in the Mindoro uh, that has never been helped by the government or contacted uh, with the gospel. We're going to go in there. We suppose should have had it already done, but uh, some uh, local problems came up and uh, we weren't able to do it. But we will be able to do it in the next few weeks. So pray for us that God would bless us that we might be able to win these 3,000 uh, tribal people to the Lord. They worship a God that has no name. That demands of them the best stuff they have. And so uh, pray for them. They have a kanyao that they have over there. And they worship to their God. It's called a kanyao. It's a, it's a pagan feast. Religious feast. They, uh, they dance around with the head of a bull on their head. They butcher the bull and keep the head and they dance around that old bloody head on their head. The blood running down their backs. And they dance all night. And they drink rice wine and get drunk and have a drunken feast. It's a horrible mess. That's their God. And uh, we've, had, we've had great success by contacting them. We went to one some years ago because a man had come to me in a, in a church and said, Brother Clayton, I, I, I'm an egrot. I could tell that. Because all the Igorot's toes, big toes, turn in. They don't go straight. They turn in. They can't wear shoes. And uh, as a tribal thing, they use those those feet like claws climbing those mountains. And uh, he said, uh, my people are up here and never heard the gospel. And he said, uh, uh, the only time, I told him, I said, the only time I can go is such and such a Saturday. He said, that will be wonderful because they have a kanyao. They'll all be there. So we went up, and it's a long story to how we got there, but a long, long trip. 
I couldn't do it now, but I was younger in those days. And uh, 22 years later, I preached there at that Kanyao, and six people got saved. 22 years later, I saw him in the Philippines in Manila. He came up and he said, Brother McClayton, you remember me? I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. He said, I'm the man from the mountain. Oh, I said, you mean beyond Sayangan? He said, yes, that's me, sir. I said, wonderful. I said, did you do what I told you? I said, I told him, I'd go back and disciple those people and teach your people the gospel. I said, you know the gospel, you can go teach. I said, did you do what I told you? He said, oh, yes, sir, I was obedient, sir. And he said, uh, I said, well, did you get a church going there? Oh, yes, we have a church there, sir. And we also have a pastor. I said, well, how many persons do you have in that church? He said, the last anniversary, sir, we had more than 2,000 persons. It, uh, it works, you know. And that's what we're trying to do there. And we hope that you'll pray for us, that God will bless us. We're, we're, I'm going to be leaving here next week, going to Taiwan. I have a... Uh, a uh, uh, kind of a seminar, a retreat over there for the Filipinos in Taiwan. Oh, by the way, we've started a new church in Taiwan. Uh, we have one there, now we've started another one. And the men that I'm working with, we've done it together. And I'm going to be going there. I'm going to take my pastor with me. And uh, I'm going to be going there, and we're going to have a, this uh, retreat for a week with the Filipinos. And then I'll go to the Philippines and I'll be in the Philippines a week preaching, and then I go to Singapore. We're starting a new church in Singapore among the Filipinos. And then I come back to the Philippines, and I'm there for uh, <coughs> about uh, three weeks, I think it is, in the lowest, something like that. And then I'm coming back to the States again. But uh, I hope that uh, I can burden your heart for the street kids. You know, how many, of, let me ask you this, how many of you have a dog you like real well? You've got a real dog that you like. Come on, raise your hand now if you got one. All right, good. How many of like got a cat? I'll use my left hand for cats. All right. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How many of you like snakes? Anybody like snakes? Look at these hands. All the kids like snakes. Isn't that something? Uh, but uh, do any of you have a snake that's a pet? Anybody? Oh, yeah, here's two that have snakes. Pet snakes. Yeah, amen. <clears throat> My wife and I don't have any pets. I'm the pet. Somebody said, Brother Clayton, you have any antiques? I said, no, but my wife has one. It's me. But, uh, you know, you, you feed those pets, don't you? I, I was in Walmart yesterday, and I was looking for a little bit of bird seed to feed our little birds. And uh, I just thought, you know, I'll look and see the price of pet food. I haven't seen the price of pet food ever. And so I walk down the aisle. I can't believe what they're charging you for that stuff. It's more than a dollar a pound, I'll tell you that much. Uh, you know, and we ought to feed our pets. And, and I know that you've got pets that you love. And man, I, I wouldn't say one word against that. But, uh, uh, you know, you love your pets and you feed your pets, right? You wouldn't let them starve. If I could get the equal amount of money that the independent fundamental Baptist people in this country spend on pets to feed the little kids, I'd feed the little kids of this world. 
Nothing wrong with feeding the pets. But do you feed the dogs and let the kids starve? I'll tell you what you do. This year, save equal amount of money you you spend on your pets. Bring it to the church. And give it to us so we can feed the kids. Don't send it to me. Send, give it to the church. Uh, you know, that's a, that would be a great thing to do. Amen? If I could get all the independent fundamental Baptist churches in America to do that, man, we'd build that hospital in the next month. Really would. It only I, I figured it only cost us $40,000 to get the building ready. And cheap things are cheaper over there. And so uh, I hope you'll pray for us. That you'll pray for us that God will bless us and use us in His vineyard to carry out His work. Oh, there's so many more things that I would like to be able to tell you that time slips away so quickly from us. But uh, pray for us that God will bless us. We are in the business of starting churches overseas. And uh, we're also business in business starting some churches in America. You know, there's a lot of Filipinos here. I preach on the West Coast to a lot of Filipino churches. There are big churches. They have big, good-going churches. We're starting a new one in uh, Daly City, which is just outside of, uh, of San Francisco. And they're doing very well. We should pray for them. They need a building to meet in. Uh, they've just, uh, they're paying a horrible price for the building they're renting. And the churches won't let them use their buildings. So pray for them that God will give them a miracle. And pray for Lois and I as we travel. Travel is getting more difficult all the time, you know. And it reminds me, Lois and I driving, it reminds me of the two old women that were driving down the road. And the driver went through a stop sign. And then through a stoplight. And the passenger said, Honey, you went through a stop sign and a stoplight. And the driver looked over and said, Oh, am I driving? <laughs> She's driving around the road real fast and the police pulled her over and said, uh, Grandma, you're driving too fast here. You went through, a, through a, uh, a speed zone driving fast like this. She said, I've got to drive fast. He said, why do you have to drive fast? She said, because i got to get there before I forget where I'm going. <laughs> So, uh, so when we start out anywhere, we, we have a prayer meeting, don't you think we don't? And uh, pray for us, if you would please, as we travel. And God, you know, uh, years ago, Brother Roy Thompson, before he died, said something to me. He said a lot of things to me I'll never forget. But uh, he said this one time. He said, you know, the least thing we need is money. And you know, we talk about money all the time. In missions, we talk about money all the time. I mean, that's the theme of what we say. But what we need more than anything else is the power of God on us. We need the blessings of God on us. You know, it's a wrestling match to know what God wants you to do in every occasion. Amen? I mean, it's easy to get saved. You just do what the Bible says and... You can know you're saved according to the Word of God. And it's simple. It's so simple little children can get saved. But when it comes to serving the Lord and walking with Him and obeying Him, it's a wrestling match to know 
the exact will of God in your life. And so uh, there are so many things that we could do that uh, we just love to be able to get involved in that we can't do because of time and effort and all that. But we need your prayers. We need that you pray for us. I know that some of you won't pray for us, but some of you will. And when you pray for us, don't just say, Dear God, bless the Claytons. Because there are some Claytons that ought not be blessed. <laughs> some of my relatives don't know this, but we've got some relatives down in Tennessee that are bootleggers. <laughs> and so uh, pray for Larry and Lois Clayton that God would bless us in a very special way. Thank you so much for all the money and help you've sent us and the way you've been blessing us. Now, Pastor, I'd like to just give a little bit of Scripture, if I could. No, I'm not done. I, I, uh, I could go on <laughs> forever. Turn your Bibles to Second uh, Kings, if you would, please. Second Kings chapter 4 in the last three verses. Second Kings chapter 4. And uh, I, I kind of think that this may be kind of a theme portion of Scripture for what we're doing in one sense of the word. And don't get the idea that I'm just in medical missions uh, or medical help uh, like, uh, like uh, some of the, the uh, organizations, the government organizations. We're, we're out winning souls to Jesus Christ and we use the stuff that we do. You know, Jesus had a fund for the poor. Did you know that? Uh, he, uh, in fact, the matter is, the night of the Last Supper, when he dismissed Judas, the disciples thought that he was sending him out to give some money to the poor, because they did that all the time. Paul and the disciples and Paul, apostle, had uh, a, a, a program of helping the poor. In fact, in Galatians chapter four, I believe it is, they had a had a conflab together with Paul and the disciples at Jerusalem, and. Uh, they, they, they agreed that Paul should go to the Gentiles and them to the Jews. And they asked him only just a few things to do. And one of them was to give some money to the poor. Paul said, we're forward to do that. And I think that it's right for us to help all that we can with the idea of winning men and women to Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says. There came a man from Balshalasha. And brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley and full ears of corn in the husks thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, What? Should I set this before an hundred men? And he said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Here's uh, Elisha. Elisha should not be cons- uh, to be uh, uh, misunderstood as being Elijah in the Bible. They're entirely two different men. Elijah was that big barrel-chested prophet that said, clenched fists, bring the sword and chop their heads off. And God's got a reason for that and had a reason for that. But Elisha was more of the type of helping people 
Although Elijah did that too, but Elisha did it even more than Elijah. Here is Elisha, after Elijah had been taken out of heaven. Here's Elisha with the command to do the prophet thing for Israel. And um, he been, was been involved four chapters here in doing a lot of great miracles for the Lord. And somebody said, you know, it's time to eat. Well, that's always a good sound to me. I don't know about you, but when they say, it's time to eat, I'll say, yeah, yeah, it is. You can tell by looking at me, I like to eat. And so he brought the man of God some real good food. It was the first fruits. He didn't bring God some run-down leftover junk. He bought him the first fruits. You ought to be praying that God would take out of this church the first fruits of our young people. We give them to them to carry out the work. But he brought the first fruits to the man of God. And he said, feed everybody to the servitor, the servant. And the servitor, I guess, probably was uh, this man Gehazi who got in trouble later here. But he said, what are you talking about? Me take this little bit of food and feed a hundred hungry men? I can't do it. And he said, you know, you're going to feed everybody and have stuff left over. I don't know if you've ever eaten around hungry people or not, but Lois and I have with them glaring at us, eating our food. We would go into a town, oftentimes our whole family would, and uh, we'd go to a place, and our visit there was a great occasion for the whole area. And we'd go in there, and they'd have a big feast for us, because that was the custom of most of the places in the world. I'd, take, I'd tell the family, now you eat a little bit of everything, and smack your lips. And you make out like it's so good. But don't you eat very much because what we leave here, these hungry kids are going to get to eat. And it was a custom for us to eat it. It would have been an insult if we didn't eat it. I went one time in the Philippines after days of travel to a little tribe of people living down on the coast, sea coast, to build them a church. Their little church was just four poles up with bamboo and... Uh, and uh, some uh, palm leaves on top for a roof. That's all they had. And my visit, they, they had nothing hardly to eat at all. Just a little bit of rice, a little old fish about that long on it. That's all. The, little dried fish about that long. Hor- tastes horrible. It tastes like eating a block of salt. But that's what, all they had to eat. And they brought for my visit, for me to take back with me, a great big fish that big. They held it up like that. You know, they bought that fish from some, for, from some fishermen out there. And I knew what they had to give up to get that fish. They had sacrificed a lot for that. That was my gift for having visit them. It's custom in the Philippines. When you come to visit somebody, they're going to have a gift for you. And I, I looked at all those people smacking their lips, looking at that big fish. And boy, that would have been a treat for any of them to have. I said, is there someone here that can cook this fish for me? 
Oh, yes, sir, Brother Clayton. There's an old woman over here with a fire. She can cook it. I said, take it to her and cook it. When the Filipinos eat a fish, they eat everything. I mean, they cook it whole, you know. And they eat everything. And I said, cook this fish for me. Well, of course, they brought it out there, cooked. And we had a feast. All of us ate. Everybody got to eat some. I'd hate to eat that. I'd hate to take that away from them with them having not tasted any of that fish. I don't know if it bothers you to think that there's hungry people in this world. If I were the president, it's not part of my sermon, but if, it were, if I were the president, I'd stop all this foreign aid and I'd give it to the farmers to raise food and I'd feed this world. America could feed the world, I'm telling you. But that's what happened here. And he said, what are you talking about? But you know, <clears throat> you couldn't feed that multitude of people with this little bit of offering here. But with the power of God, you can do anything that's necessary to do with whatever you have. With miracles. You can't do the work of God without miracles. I tell these young men in Bible college all the time, if it doesn't take miracles keep you doing what you're doing, you're not doing enough. When your pastor launched out on this Baptist history printing ministry that he has now that's reaching out all over the world. And you've had a part in that. that I congratulate you for that. We've needed that very desperately. And uh, when he started out, you wouldn't have been able to figure that this sort of thing would have gone this far. But you know what the miracle working at power of God and the answer of God's people's prayers... There's no limit to what can be done. The world's wide open to us. We cannot cloister ourselves and sit and look at a blank wall and complain about the world going to hell. We've got to do something about it. So he said, what are you talking about? I can't do that. None of us can do what God wants us to do without the miracle working of God. Jesus said, here comes a multitude, how are we going to feed them? Philip said, why, 200 penny worth of bread wouldn't give every man a little. Jesus wasn't thinking of a little, he's thinking of all they could eat. And he took the little basket lunch of a little boy and fed them thousands up on the mountainside in a grassy slope. All they wanted to eat why? Because he was the miracle-working Son of God. And so we cannot do this work without the miracle. But God is able to do miracles. Amen. And what a wonderful thing it is to know that way beyond our reach, way beyond our ability, lies the marvelous working power of a miracle-working God. Who tells us to go. And he will supply the need. I hope that every one of us here tonight can design in our hearts. God help me. To be a part. Of the work of the Lord. In the whole wide world. I saw your sign out here. It's a great slogan on that sign. The whole world is open to us. If our families would just say, I'll have a part in that. Let's bow our heads in prayer.